0: In three, two, one, and we're live. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DTD podcast. This week in the studio, a veteran of the United States Army. His career spanned four deployments into combat two of those to Afghanistan, two to Iraq, in a four year time frame. In that same time frame, this guest competed in the best ranger competition, ranking a fantastic fifth and eighth place overall. After life in the service, this guest worked as a contractor with Blackwater Worldwide, but looked for purpose and founded in professional mounted cowboy shooting. This guest quickly gained popularity, placings, and sponsors such as Black Rifle Coffee, Oakley, Quicker Dead, and Safari Land. My guest is interested in anything that increases his lethality, but he also believes in the motto, you need to take your time in a hurry. This week, we find out what that means for your life and hear his amazing story. Please welcome Drew Wallace, also known as the Ranger Cowboy. What's going on, my friend?
1: How are you? Uh, Thanks for having me here
0: how we always start these is back when, you know, in your youth and, and thinking about being in the military or if you had ideas of it. And I've heard you say and read numerous times that you had two dreams as a kid, be a cowboy or a soldier. And it looks like you've done both those, but it was from a weird place. You know, Massachusetts being born there, that that seems like a weird place to that a cowboy uh, idea would come into your mind. So can we talk about your youth a little bit and what kind of set you down that path?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, it was obviously twofold, you know, the idea of, you know, being, you know, a soldier and then obviously being a cowboy, um, you know, the easier one to explain is really the concept of being a soldier. You know, I think where I grew up, you know, in Massachusetts, you know, we lived in kind of a bit of a rural rural area. And I was always outside as a kid. I mean, my mom and dad would just let me go outside, get covered in mud. I'd be playing, you know, the most dangerous game with my friends, manhunt. I just had a fascination and intrigue with the military, you know, and always dressing up in camouflage. And so, I think feel like a lot of young kids, you know, have that aspiration. Maybe it's from watching Rambo or whatever it is, but you know, you, you quickly attach on to that sort of macho figure um of a soldier. And so I think that was very embedded in my brain early on. Um so that's it kind of from the, the, the military perspective, and then wanting to be kind of a cowboy, um really started with just love of animals and all sorts of, you know, different critters, you know, everything from, I'd always had different pets growing up as a kid and always had a fascination with animals. Um, but it wasn't really until I was about 12 years old that uh, I started getting exposed to horses and uh, horseback riding and, you know, the, the, the long story short is that about a few miles down the road from where we lived in the summer was a trail riding place called Rustic Rides. And this was on Block Island, Rhode Island, where we'd spend a lot of summers. And one one day I said to my mom, I said, Hey, I'm gonna ride my bike down there and see if I can get a job. You know, and she rolled her eyes at me like thinking like, what guy is gonna give a twelve year old kid, you know, a job? You know riding horses you know i mean you know this is back before there were no cell phones or anything i just said hey listen mom, if i don't come back that means i I got the job and uh i didn't come back till like nine o'clock at night and she was like you know by the afternoon she was like where's my son you know and uh i eventually came home and got the job and that was kind of my entry into horses you know that was kind of that kind of set me on a, a path you know, you know, for that too.
0: Well, you know, what I thought was interesting, because I've heard you talk about that story before was, and I want to, it's a question that I wanted to ask you. You have small children, you're raising a family now. In these day and times and seeing everything that you've seen in the world, are you letting your kid walk away and just say, I'll be back, you know, whenever I get this job or I'll just be back when I get back? Uh, Because I think it was a different time back then.
1: Yeah. It it was. No, I mean no today. I mean I think I mean social media has changed everything, I guess, and there's such a heightened level of anxiety, I think for a lot of parents, I think knowing what is out there and and uh and that's hard to like avoid as a parent, like you get, you know, it, yeah, it is a different world. Like would I let my son just ride his bike, you know, miles away and just say, yeah. And do what I did back when I was 12. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I give them a lot of independence and autonomy, but I think because I know what I know, you know, there are some restrictions to that. And, um, and that's really been I think a big part of that is news and media and social media, you know, um, as a parent, um, it's hard to let your kids just, you know, learn things on their own like we used to as, as, as kids. Um, you know, I mean, I, 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 think, I think that's true. Um, I'd love to say, no, I love, i let my kid go and ride his bike and do whatever, right. you know, but I, I guess, I guess I don't, you know, um, you know, I, I hear at the house and the farm, we kind of let them do, Just about anything, you know, because I want to instill that sense of adventure that I had as a kid that my parents did. Um, But, yeah, you're right. We don't have that now. And I'm not sure why.
0: You know, even looking at where you live, you have, what, seven acres where you're living right now? So, I mean, they they can explore. They can be kids. You know, when I look at it, when I see it from a long point. Enforcement perspective and you know my my kids are kind of doomed their mom was uh, an emergency room nurse for 20 years before she changed over to do something else I've been in a major metropolitan city seeing everything that I saw and so I don't know if maybe back when we were growing up that it was looked upon differently or maybe it just wasn't in the news as much but I almost worry because I think that autonomy that you had and that autonomy that I had back then it it set us down a path to be independent when we need to be independent. And, and in the sport that you're doing right now, just looking at that, it's you and your horse. There's nobody else coming. There's not a team while you're competing. And so I wonder in the future with kids, and, and maybe it's a, a really deep question to start out with, but I wonder when you look ahead for your kids, do you see this same kind of uh, forward thinking that you have that they'll have? yeah it's a good question
1: i mean i think those that, that that level of autonomy and sense of adventure yeah i think that does get really instilled in, in you at a young age um and will that carry on with them you know to the same degree that it did for me i mean listen i mean i everything i've done as an adult I feel like has been a a very solid reflection of how I was raised and who I was as a kid. Um, no, I think the, think kids in my kids too, I think there's going to be some, a level of like, you know, not, not retreat, but pulling it back a bit, you know? Um, no, I think, I, I think you're right with that. I mean, that's my sense too. Now that I'm thinking more about it and I haven't thought about it, a lot until you just asked me. Um, but I think that's going to be the case.
0: You know, I, what's interesting, and in, in looking at your story, I mean, it, we'll take it so far as you used to go to the Army Navy store by yourself, get all the surplus stuff, the medals, the clothes, all that kind of stuff by yourself, and then hang out with your friends. And I think that all of the stuff that you did kind of shaped you, like you said, into your career. You knew what you wanted to do from the very beginning. It fascinated you from the very beginning. Now, the weird part about your youth to me, though, it's almost a dichotomy. The high school that you went to was very much based in service, uh, service to your other man. You went to camps that were based in service to other people. But then you go to California For your college, and you go to Pepperdine University, a very liberal university in its own right, a very um, open, free-thinking society, and I wonder with you, was the mixture of those two worlds, did that make you a better soldier, a better uh, operator out in the field? Because you saw both levels, you could think on multiple different things in multiple different ways, like we talked about even before the show with the degrees from college,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do. I mean, by the time I had joined the army, basically the end of two thousand two, and then into two thousand three, um, I had already felt pretty well rounded as like a, a young guy. You know, I'd I'd, done, I'd had some great opportunities, like like you mentioned. You know, you yeah, know, I had gone to a, a boarding school in New Hampshire and had a variety of experiences there. Everything from you know different international travel and I climbed Kilimanjaro when I was 17 or, you know, by myself with two other friends, you know, um, or, you know, I traveled quite a bit extensively around the U S and internationally, you know, with my dad, um,
0: sailing the boat.
1: Yeah. Sailing a boat across the, the, the Atlantic. Um, you know, do, I had a ton of different, experiences that were of my own that I relied entirely on myself and saw the world for a little bit of what it was. Um, and yeah, I think it instilled with me, you know, a lot of free thinking. And so by the time that I, you know, ended up signing the dotted line and went through basic training. Yeah. I'd already kind of had a, you know, a a head on my shoulders. Um, but I remember like, I always felt too, that I wasn't like above it all. Like, you know, cause there were certain things like in basic training, like, I mean, you're working at the lowest common denominator, you know, you're, you know, whether it be helping a guy lace boots or dress an envelope, you know, I never, I never felt like I was above anything. Um, I felt like I was doing my part. Um, but I always had, yes, like you said, you know, I think it did allow me to to basically see past what everything was and understand it and know that the world was bigger than where I was just at that moment, um, which is serving, you know, you're part of a team, you're, you're, you know, you're part of a squad, you're part of a platoon, part of a company, battalion, you know um, I knew in that very moment, that's what I was there to do, but I knew it wasn't the end all be all. um, Which is ultimately, I think why I didn't end up, Staying in the military long term because I, yeah, you know, there was a number of reasons at the time, but while I was in, I knew that this wasn't just it. I knew that um, there was more to, to life than just, just this, but I knew I needed to do it for a bunch of reasons. Um, and um, I'm grateful every day that I did do it because it's given me such an appreciation for basically everything that I have now. And I wouldn't change anything, you
0: know. Well, here's another, you know, kind of crazy thing with you. You go to college. You finish your degree before you actually join the Army. Um, but you choose enlisted over officer. You could have gone either path. And I know that you've said before that you wanted the full experience. You, you wanted to do everything that the Army was about, that that officers are policymakers, makers. Uh, Enlisted or the policy enforcers and and i get that i was a you know i was an nco and everything too here's what is really crazy to me though you see all that you see all these experiences around the world and you want the full experience so what was it because this is stuck in my head since reading about you and learning about you what was this full experience that you were looking for because i mean we can agree you'd experienced a lot of stuff by then
1: i mean i think uh it's kind of like the you know the, the added the sort of adage that was the quote in you know Full Metal Jacket you know it's like, I want to be the first kid on my block with a confirmed kill, you know it's like, it was that sort of, you know experience. It's like, I dreamt about it when I was a kid of what it would, was going to be like and what the experience was going you know, what it was going to be, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to be in the thick of it. And that's, and it, as nostalgic as it was, it it stayed with me from when I was a kid, you know, until then. Um, And I said, well, I don't want to be the guy behind the desk, you know, pushing papers, you know. I want to be the guy kicking down the door, you know, and running in there, you know. And so that's really, you know, people say, you know, how how do things imprint upon a, a kid when they're young? And I see this with my son now who... I have a nine-year-old boy and a you know one-year-old boy, but the nine-year-old boy, I already see certain things imprinted upon him at such a young age that I know he's going to gravitate towards certain things in life, just as I was. And so that was really why I I went that route, you know, enlisted versus you know, an officer, for sure.
0: Cause I definitely think you get that full experience when you learn how to clean a bathroom and you, I, I mean, and like you said, oh, it's yeah. the basic stuff. Like I remember seeing guys that, you know, had barely ever worn shoes before they joined the military. They lived in the yeah. backwoods and stuff. I mean, if you're looking for a full experience and you want, cause you had kind of seen the world, but if you want a full picture of America, that's the place to see it.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, and it, it was more humbling than I knew. I mean, I'm, I can distinctly remember, you know, listen, when I joined the Army, you know, I had long blonde hair. You know, I showed up in, you know, you know jeans, T-shirt. Um, I wore, I had contacts at the time. But I distinctly remember, at, you know, in the reception battalion, even before BASIC, they shaved my head. They put on, you know, I wore the gray T-shirt, the black shorts, you know, the white socks, the New Balance running shoes. And then they put on the birth control goggles on my face, you know, the glasses that we had to wear, big black croaky. And I remember them like some drill sergeant, like just you know, screaming my head off, and handing me a mop. And I remember being in the latrine, and I had it was like a full length mirror. And I remember staring into that mirror and thinking to myself, like, it, it's got to be uphill from here, like, because this, this fucking sucks. <laughs> i mean i just looked you know i mean talk about the full experience i mean that was like you know wasn't anything that i had imagined that you know that it would be like but that was definitely a humbling moment where you're like yeah i'm i'm a i'm nobody you know right now and no one no one cares that i climb Mount Kilimanjaro or I saw the world or graduated from college. You know,
0: yeah, you're not um, going to say that shit there anyway. You're not going to tell no. anyone you climbed Mount I, Kilimanjaro.
1: No, no. one most people,
0: yeah, some people wouldn't even know what it was. And to be <laughs> honest, I was actually
1: even embarrassed because when you, when you graduate college, you start as when you're enlisted, you start as an E4. Um, I didn't even wear my rank for the longest time because I didn't even want anyone to know, that I even went to college, I wanted to be totally invisible. So I didn't even wear, I think you're supposed to wear your, your, you know, your rank there. I did it. Cause I was like, I, I just want to be a ghost.
0: And I was, you know, you had even chosen that you wanted to go with the Rangers out of some book that you had that just had all the different services and yeah. you yeah. were like, yeah, okay, that looks pretty cool. Let's do that.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I had heard about it from a friend that I didn't really know very well who had said that that was like a great route to go, but then I had yeah I had and I still have the book it's just like really old school book and has all the different special operations in it. it was a big like coffee table book leaf leaf lit thing, and I was like, yeah, I was like this looks great I was like let's let's do this. I mean I knew I wanted to to serve you know obviously nine eleven had happened and that was really enough cause for me to do it. But I knew that I didn't want to just go regular army. I knew I wanted to do something a little more special than
0: that. So bringing that up, let's talk about 9-11. Cause I got a couple questions for you. I want to know when you think about 9-11, I was already in the military. When you think about 9-11, what feelings do you have about it? And then second to that, What does 9-11 mean to you and your life? And I'm not just talking from you being in the military, you going on combat tours. What did it mean to your life then and now?
1: Yeah. um, You know, the the immediate sort of feelings that I have, you know, um, you know, basically sadness and anger, um, you know, because I remember I was in college at the time uh, in California. So waking up to that. Um, those events, you know, it was just obviously such tragedy, and you're sad that it would happened. But it was almost kind of like this angry sort of kick in the ass that I had been looking for that gave me the, the basically drive and motivation to to join. Um, it was kind of like after once that happened, and we knew that we were going to go to you know go to conflict. I knew that I needed to be a part of it and that this was something that was important to me. You know, it was kind of, it was like your modern day call to arms, you know? And so, so that was very clear. You know, since then, you know, to me, 9-11 has just been, been that. It's been uh, basically a life changing moment um, as it has is for a lot of folks who, you know, who, who obviously lost someone or, uh, and um, but for me it was, you know, had 9-11 not happened, I can't say that I would have joined. Um, you know, I think it was that, that spark that sometimes, you know, you know, I was like a sitting jug of, you know, gunpowder that just needed a spark to be lit. And that was it. Um, and so from, from since that time, you know, every time 9-11 happens, it's hard to watch some of the, you know, the clips on, on TV of everything that happened. Um, but to me, it was, is a life defining moment. It changed the course of my life, you know, and it, it, it was a call to arms ultimately. Um, I equate it to, you know, Pearl Harbor, you know, it's the same type of thing, you know, guys needed to answer the call and many did, um, you know, and, and that's what it was to me. It still is.
0: So let me ask you, and let me pose the question to you kind of be in you know, devil's advocate for a minute. When you were at Pepperdine, you surfed a lot. These are by your own words. You surfed a lot, barely went to class. Is <laughs> it Well, And the reason I say it like that, nine eleven the day the world became real? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, you can... Listen, going to Pepperdine, uh, I call it like a privileged youth. I mean, it was like fantasy land. I mean for you know an 18 19 20 and then 21 year old kid you know you're living in malibu california i mean you know there's it's a very white no <laughs> basically no crime you know it's composed of you know hollywood people surfers and there's a college you know um it's not reality in any sense of the word so Yeah, it's a good way to put it is that when 9-11 happened, it kind of sunk reality, you know, home, you know, sort of like, hey, like, wake up, like, guess what, you're not going to be living here in another year. And, you know, you you need to do something with your life that has meaning. I mean, my parents raised myself and my, my two other brothers, both who have served you know, in the military or law career in law enforcement and, uh, you know, federal law enforcement, you know, that's, they raised us to give back and do something meaningful. Um, and you know, Malibu is great. Pepperdine was great. Um, but you know, you, I wasn't going to continue on that trajectory. Um, so yeah, nine 11, you know, made everything real.
0: What's the conversation you have with your parents? Uh,
1: you know, it, it was, it was well supported, I think by them. Uh, I knew, you know, cause listen, when you join after nine 11, I mean, you're, you're gonna, you're going to, to war, you know? Um, so, uh, it's definitely not a lighthearted one. Um, so they, you know, they basically said, you know, listen, if you want to do that, we support you. Just think long and hard about it. Um, because I remember, you know, even oddly enough, like my father's mother, who's passed now, but she was of, you know, World War II, that era, and both my grandparent grandfathers served, she was like so against it, you know, and she was like, no, you know, absolutely not. Like, don't, you know, join the military. You're going to go to war. She's like, go, go to business school. And like, to me, it was like unfathomable. Like, I'm like... Like, how can I go to business school when we're, as a country, we're going to war and like all these other guys are going to go and what, I'm just going to go and go to business school? I was like, to do what? I was like, I mean, (laughs) Uh, so there was, my parents did support it, but they were just, they said, you know, like anything in life, they said, you know, think through what you want to do. We're going to support you either way. And they knew that I was kind of set on it based off of my personality and my upbringing and
0: a lot of guys have told me on the show that their parents had never told them they were proud of them. they never knew. Did you think your parents were proud of you before that? And then looking on to it afterwards, do you think your parents were proud of you?
1: They were I think my parents had always been proud of me most of the time in like athletics. Um, you know, I was captain of number of my high school teams and in college. Um, I think that's where their, their pride of, of me existed was on the playing fields. Um, but you know, kind but I can unequivocally say that once I joined the military and the things that I accomplished in that arena, you know, I, it was, you know, tenfold, I think the amount of pride and, that they had and what I was doing. Um, and that meant that meant a lot, it still does. You know, I mean, I remember um, even, you know, com- competing in the best ranger competition. And they, I mean, to, they love that. I mean, it was because, you know, you go, when you're in the military and you go in deployment, like no one sees that, you know, it's not like um, you go and you do your job. Like, yeah, maybe you went, you get some medals and whatnot and they don't even see that you know it's like you just come home and you go on leave and they're proud of what you did and you but any but back to the best ranger competition events like that they're right there with you you know they're seeing you compete in the all these skills and tasks that somehow you've learned you know and you're their son and you didn't even know that you didn't even know that they knew how to do all that stuff um yeah, I'd never. you know, that was a level of pride that I hadn't seen from them ever before.
0: So as you go in, you go to basic AIT because you signed up just as 11 Bravo, right? You were just infantry is what you signed up, but a Ranger contract.
1: Yeah, and I had been, I was actually a, a 13 Fox, so it was like a, a That's Ford right, you were a Ford Observer, yeah. that's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, as a Ford Observer, you go to basic, you go to AIT, which is at Fort Sill, which is, you know, not the yeah. greatest yeah. introduction into okay. the it's army. Hot. Yeah.
1: It's terrible. So hot.
0: <laughs> the, the second of the 82nd training battalion, I think is what it was over yeah. in the starships. Um, not the best, but you you go through it, you get to the rangers, you you actually go to the regiment, you get uh, first ranger battalion, correct? Yep. You make it through all that, but here's where the career doesn't necessarily take a turn because you knew this was gonna happen, but Four years, four deployments, you're in a constant turmoil in your life. If you're not at war, you're training for war. Um, yeah. I want to talk about the mind state that you take. And, and we talked about, did the world get real after 9-11? But then when you get there and you're just constantly at war or training for war, what kind of mind state are you in? Because now you've really got the full experience and do you think, like, I don't know how I could do this for 20 years? Or do you think, like, this is the coolest shit in the world? Let's do it for 20 years until you get really deep into it.
1: It was definitely more, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this for 20 years, you know? Um, and I say that too. Like, I know a lot of guys who, who did and, and who have. Um, and maybe it was my personality that, i knew that I, I couldn't hang on that long and maybe if i had hung on a little bit longer maybe i would have got more of like a little bit of a break but you're right i mean in the span of you know it was four years you know it was i i was able to hit every deployment that we had um in between then i was doing you know different training or i was doing best ranger um yeah you know, i was just I packed everything I could in. Um, I never really gave myself much of a break. Uh, the only sort of way to, that I sort of balance any of that was just sort of, you know, kind of ex- everything else was excessive too. you know, the you know, drinking and, you know, just having a great time with your friends. Um, you know, you just rev the engines every, everywhere you looked, uh, nothing was just like chill, you know. Um, that's
0: got to be exhausting, though.
1: Yeah, it was. I, You know, I think, uh, you know, that's, and I think that's probably why, I, you know, I, I didn't even know that I couldn't do it until I just decided not to do it anymore. Either re-enlist. I'm like, I'm re-enlist for what? I mean, another two years of this exact same thing of just, you know, you know, revving the engines, every direction I go. Um, I was like, this isn't going to end well. And it wasn't, things weren't always going super well, like in terms of relationships or certainly, you know, alcohol consumption was pretty out of control. Um, you know, got one pretty serious article 15, uh, that could have got me tossed out, but didn't, um, you know, so I knew I, knew, I knew it wasn't sustainable. And I was smart enough, you know, to know that, having lived. Um, I was like, this isn't going to work long-term.
0: All right, let's go down one by one. And I asked you before if anything's off-limits. So let's <laughs> go through this. Relationships, let's start with those. You say you're revving in every direction. What's a relationship at this time in your life?
1: I mean, any relate really, you know it's they long distance more or less because you're always gone um, you're either tra- you're either if you're home you're training and you're away or you're away for basically 90 to a hundred days um, so out of the gate you know everyone knows long distance doesn't work so that's pretty, pretty dysfunctional you know every relationship was more or less like hey I'm I'm here for a good time, not a long time. You know, it's like, why well, I get too attached to anything when, you know, you you know, you know that you're going to leave in a couple days.
0: Were you honest about that up front with the people in the relationships or were you, were you the, the, you know, no I'm a serious boyfriend or were you like right up front? Like, look.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, it's odd because in uh, you know, I come from a, you know, loving family. And so you in, instinctively, I want to commit to someone and, and, and build something. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you say to them, listen, I'm, I'm leaving, you know, you know, in a, in a few days or this or that. And so they keep, they put up their guard, you know, so it was kind of my own internal struggle with that. I was like, you know, I, I didn't want it to be just sort of, you know, good time, not a long time, you know, if anything, it's nice to sometimes have something to hold on to. Um, I think for the most part, my experience is a lot of these women, when you're in service, you know, they just love the, they love the nostalgia and the idea of maybe, you know, dating, you know, a ranger or a seal or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm dating this guy. He's, you know, you know, some war hero type of thing, thing, you know, i feel like i feel like that's how i mean we had them i mean you know that's that was my impression with some of these girls too is that that's what they they enjoyed about it i mean everyone gets something out of it i guess but
0: the drinking what are we talking about how much
1: oh yeah i mean a lot i mean i you know i think the best way to describe it is one of our you know we myself and a few other guys we got a you know, we would always go out. I mean, all of us would, I mean, a range regiment drinking is, it's, it's part of the sort of fraternal aspect of it. Um, and so when you're off the clock, like you're downtown drinking, lots of fights, um, you know, staff duty gets called all the time, picking guys up. Um, you know, there was one incident really with us where, you know, we all had motorcycles, you know, you know, we start the evening off at, you know, seven drinking, and it goes all the way till two in the morning, where we're, you know, going about 140 miles an hour, you know, on a Ducati monster with a girl on the back, you know, and you get, fi- you finally get pulled over by the police, but you didn't even know they were behind you because you're going so fast, um, you know, and then you know, you're like, oh shit, you're like, we're in trouble, uh, you know, you calls your, you know, you got to call your headquarters platoon sergeant to kind of bail you out there on the side of the street. You know, we all got brought in, you know, and they made us do a breathalyzer uh, when we were back on post that morning. Um, And really just, they ended up charging us with, you know, drunk on duty. You know, and they gave us Article 15s. It wasn't, you know, it was, I wouldn't say it was, it was a pretty hard slap on the wrist. But you know we were out of control. I mean, and that was kind of like the mindset of that a lot of us had. You just kind of feel like you're invincible, and everything is going hundred miles an hour in every direction, anyways. So, you know, if you're gonna go out, you know, you feel like there's no consequence. You know.
0: All right, let me let me put your dad yeah. hat back on, okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you got two boys now, okay? Uh, you also have a daughter, which is believe me, is, uh, even probably bigger than the boys, but you look at these scars that you had from back then, the drinking, the relationships, the thinking that you're invincible. Are you proud of those? Do you tell them how do how do you introduce that life to them and turn it into maybe a teachable moment instead of, uh, just an embarrassing one?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um,
0: because I'm going to be honest, I don't know how to do it sometimes. I don't know how to take that embarrassment from the past and show them, look, I made this mistake so you don't have to. So how do you do it? How do you think you'll do it? You know,
1: I mean, I, I'm a firm believer like that. Um, I mean, there's a famous quote that basically that you, you learn through mistakes, not examples. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, discussing those moments with them, Gosh, it's like, will, would that, you know, what, what will they learn from that? Um, You know, it's like, it's almost like, I don't know. I don't know if they will, if they'll, they won't grasp the the weight of it as I did. I still look back on that moment. It's like, I, I couldn't have been, you know, if my parents were so proud of me for certain moments in my military career, gosh, if I wasn't just so utterly disappointed with myself. When that shit happened. But, you know, will the my kids feel the weight of that without having experienced something like that of them, themselves? Gosh, do I want them to experience that like that? <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Fuck no. Because, I mean, yeah, I could have died. I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, to be honest, um, could have died doing a lot of different things. Yeah, I think there's, an, a, there's definitely a time and a place to discuss that with them that where it can, where the weight of it will set in because I, you know, I think about when people tell me stuff, you know, you're like, geez, you're like, ah, I hope I don't want to make that same mistake. And then you go out and you can kind of make the same mistake. You know, sometimes you just have to learn things by, you know, screwing up yourself. And I think my hope is that they won't put themselves into those types of situations you know, like I did.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I you mean, know, and how old are your, you girls now? How old are they? Yeah.
0: So 17, 14 and nine.
1: Oh yeah. I mean,
0: so I, you know, and, and talking about that, I have a daughter that leaves for college in a year and I think, Holy shit. Like I didn't go to college until I was older after I got out of the military. But even then, I think of dumb things that I did while I was in the military at 19, 20, 21, 22, and I I don't want them to see that. But I kind of do so they can go, okay, they're human too, but I definitely don't want to do that shit and get in trouble for it.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, just talking to you too, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think you'd get in trouble for it as much as I would either. I think they you know, if it comes, when it comes from a place of understanding, um, you
0: know, well, I, I think run. I mean more towards them, them to do it and them so, get in trouble. I would rather them know, I guess almost, I don't want to be that helicopter parent, but I almost kind of want them to know about those pitfalls before they get to them. Like you and I yeah. did where no one's telling us about them.
1: I know. I mean, that's the difference today that like we said, than you know, uh, than it was 20 years ago. It's like, yeah, you're right. Today, you can almost predict the pitfall of everything to the point where you wouldn't go, you wouldn't go out and do anything. You know, it's like... <laughs> right. Which is probably half the kid's problems out there, you know, and you don't want them to be like that because, yeah, I mean, any kid who has a helicopter parent, you know, they're scared of their own shadow. They don't do anything. Um, it's the parents who... And I think that it's a, it's a balance there. It's like helicopter parents, you know, the kids aren't going to do anything. They're afraid of their own shadow. The other parents that, you know, are totally absent, kids are getting into trouble and this and that because there's no one there to kind of guide them through that whole process. You know, it's such a balance, like giving them some autonomy, letting them make some mistakes, but don't let them, you know, fuck up too bad. You know,
0: and and the, and the reason I you know I bring that up is because you look at lives that have been spent doing what even right now doing what you do is dangerous. It's very dangerous what yeah. you do. So I look at that and and that's the whole thing is that I I want to speak to these guys on the show and these girls on the show and talk to them about, how they handle life because you would agree you've seen a lot more than most people have seen and i can't help but think that wisdom makes it almost better
1: yeah i mean i mean wisdom in terms of you know how you, you mean you you're raising your kids or
0: you know. wisdom in this is the world because i think there's a lot of people out there these days that that just are blind to what is going on in the world and and you have that front row seat where you can show them no 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 this is what the world's like and 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 i bring all that up to to bring up the next point with you you, drinking heavily uh going to war going 100 miles in all the different directions how does that affect you while it's going on and we've talked about that a little bit where you just don't know if you can keep up that pace even after four years But then when it all comes to an abrupt stop, because it comes to an abrupt stop, you were out like two days after the best ranger competition, something like that. And it comes to a screeching halt that's got to affect you mentally.
1: Yeah, it did big time. You know, you go from a a brotherhood and like you said, going 100 miles an hour to basically going five. Um, And you're, you're by yourself entirely, you know. Uh, you go from a pinnacle of achievement to basically, you know, a desk job. No, you, and then kind of overnight, you lose your identity. You know, you, for years, you were identifying as this, you know, soldier. And then, you know, and then, then you're not, you know, so, yeah, I mean, 2007, 2008 were tough. I mean, what was I doing during that time? You know, I, on paper, it looked like a decent job. It was like a, basically a product development job with uh, Special Operations Command working at, in Natick, Massachusetts and, you know, cool opportunity, but like very independent, um, a lot of autonomy, but like very quiet, you know, um, not a lot of action going on. It was, you know, during, I was kind of in and out of relationships, nothing steady at all, because I wasn't, I, you know, it's, it's hard to like put yourself out there. I find, and be confident in any relationship if, if you don't have your own identity and you're not confident in yourself, you know, and it's one reason now why today I feel so grounded and and happy in my marriage now, because I'm finally at a point where I'm kind of confident and firing on every cylinder. I know who I am. I know what I like to do. I know what my purpose is right now. Um, but back then, when I just got out of the military, I had no identity. I, it was like I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I contemplated joining, going back into the military like a lot of guys do. You know, it, Which over. is
0: crazy to me, and I have to point this out to you. You said, I can't keep up that pace. Yet you thought about going back in the military and yeah. you became a contractor. So yeah. you're right back into it. And and that is the thing that always blows my mind talking to, to guys that have done this. When your mind tells right. you over and over, we can't do this. We can't keep up this pace. And then you get out and you're like, now nah, we can. We, we fool ourselves into thinking, no, we can. And then you just get into a, a, a never ending loop.
1: Yeah. And, you know, And one kind of interesting piece about that too. So, you know, I, I got out of the army and, you know, I was just lost. And I remember I had found, and this is kind of critical of what set me onto this new, a new trajectory was, you know, I, Oh, I, I knew I was unhappy and I feel, I felt like I had to get away. And I went back to, before I joined the army, I sailed across the Atlantic and it was one of the most, impactful moments i felt like in my youth because for more or less 30 days i was away from everybody and everything like no one had any you know know, people who were telling me oh don't join the army or you should join or this or that like everything like all the noise went away and so you know fast forward you know i'm out of the army i'm basically fucking miserable working at this job and just all over the place. Uh, I found this basically place in Africa. It was called wild fitness. And, uh, it was this like fitness sort of like retreat place. And, uh, you go, I I mean, I knew very little about it, but I said, you know what? I said, fuck it. I was like, I'm going, I'm taking two weeks. I'm going to Kenya and, uh, I'm just gonna, you know, go work out on the beach with people for a couple weeks and just get the hell away from all of this because it's what I need to figure stuff out. Um, and I did, and and actually, ironically, at that same time when I went there, there were these huge like riots and a bunch of like deaths happened in Nairobi, Kenya. So basically everyone pulled out of the course, but I, I mean, I'm, you know, I was army ranger. I was like, I don't give a shit. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going no matter what. So I still went and I got to Kenya And it was only me and this one other dude from England who showed up and like the other 20 guests like didn't come because they were, you know, in fear for fear for their life.
0: Granted, that's a very real thing.
1: It is. Yeah, it is. And so uh, long story short, it was just me and and the coaches there for two weeks. And it was awesome. I had no cell phone. I told people, I was like, hey, you want to get hold of me? Email these people. This is where I'll be, and that was it. I had nothing. I mean, I you know, I was dating a girl at the time. I was like, see, ya. I was like, you need to get a hold of me. Email email these people, uh, and that's that. And what it did for me is that when I came back, I had this sort of revelation of the direction that I wanted to go, which was I was always really into fitness. I was always into product development. I was just excited about that sort of aspect of what makes a what makes a soldier great, you know, the equipment or his physiology and this and that. And I decided was like, hey, I want to go back to school for basically exercise physiology, I was just passionate about this. But the the truth of it was, is that I didn't have any money. Uh, I didn't have certainly any of the prerequisites to get into any credible graduate school to learn this stuff. Um, I hadn't taken any tests or anything. So I said, you know what? I'm going to Iraq for basically a year. Uh, I'll make money, work as a medic. Um, I'll basically take online prerequisite classes. You know another in, in six months, I'll come home and I'll interview at schools and then go back overseas. And, and basically that's what I did. So you know, working for Blackwater became, you know, for the, basically a full full year became like a means to an end. It was like I had a new sort of objective, which was, hey, I'm going to get into graduate school. And by the way, I had no business at all even like applying to these schools because like I had no background in science whatsoever. Um, But that's what I did. Went back, went to Iraq for a year and just studied and uh, worked and, you know, took, a lot of online classes and and that was that.
0: If I can go back for just a minute while you're in on the four different deployments, I want to know kind of how you get yourself mentally prepared. And the reason that is, is because of what you just said, you said, you know, I'm going over there. I don't give a shit what's happening. I've been in war. When you do that, is it the same kind of preparation that you do when you go back as a contractor or is it completely different?
1: I think it's a a lot different when I went over there as a contractor, I think when I first went over, I thought it was going to be the same sort of vibe or feel. And it was not. Um, I quickly realized that it was a lot more just like kind of like a job, (laughs) you know, but like in the Ranger regiment, there was such a, you know, such a stronger brotherhood and, um, you felt like you had assets that could support you in every shape possible. You know, this one, you know, Blackwater felt like you're a little bit more like punching a clock. You know, it wasn't a, you know, if you didn't have to work, you definitely weren't gonna, you know, go back to your hooch and watch a movie, play video games or go to the gym. You know, it was like different vibe.
0: I guess the question would be to ask, are you happy doing this? You said it's a means to an end, but you're in kind of a dark place. Are you happy now doing that? What's what's that? Doing being a contractor. Are you happy back in the oh. thick of it and being a contractor? Or are you still like, fuck?
1: You know, once again different. that loop. Yeah. I think at that point, yeah, it was easier to do. Uh I wasn't unhappy. Um, because I was so like focused on my my end goal because i knew it was such a means to an end you know because there were a lot of guys over there working and you know they just kept they, they still do con they were they did contracting for years because there wasn't anything else that they knew they wanted to do or they knew that they were actually very capable of doing
0: but that, but that's, over, let me stop you though but that's different from you because you yeah. were over there for a very specific reason and those two seem like oil and water. They don't seem like they mix because some guys are doing it because they don't know anything else. They don't know where to turn. You did. And that almost seems like that's not a good mixture.
1: Yeah, you know, and maybe it was because I you know, I kept a lot of it. I mean, I'm an introvert sort of at heart. And maybe it was the same type of thing where in basic, where I kind of hid my rank. I kind of did that a little bit there. Like, you know, I never... You know, I didn't want to be like a dead man walking and say, you know, when my, you know, when I get into school, you know, I'm fucking out of here. Um, Yeah, I never felt like I got along great with my, my whole team there. Um, And they knew that we had each other's backs. But yeah, like you said, I mean, those are different mindsets. You know, there are some people there that are there because that's all they're going to do. And me, I was there because I'm like, hey, I'm here. I need the money. I have to kill some time, anyways, because I got to study for this stuff. I'm here. I mean, I'm making the most of it. Uh, yeah, it's it's different mentalities, um, but it worked out. I mean, you know, some guys I'm still good buddies with, uh, and I think probably because I kept a lot of that stuff to myself, maybe.
0: So, what years are we talking about? This is probably what 08.
1: Yeah. So I left in like, uh, like March of 08 you know it wasn't I mean yeah like less than a you know year later I was gone again you know um, and at 08 to all the way into 09. so basically it would be a full year. yeah I basically did you know uh, I think when I went, first went over I did about six and a half seven months straight and then you know had leave for a month and then went back for another few months to finish it out.
0: Okay. So you do that, you get done and you come back over here, especially with what you're doing right now. Does all that work out? I mean, do you stick to the plan?
1: Yeah. So, um, I got accepted to uh, Northeastern university in Boston and their, uh, clinical exercise physiology program. And it was pretty fun, pretty interesting. Cause you know, I'm like the guy in class who's like, easily a good, like seven, eight years older than everyone else, you know, cause they're all like straight out of undergraduate, you know? And so, um, you know, I'm living in Boston and I'm digging it. I mean, it, it was, ch- it's challenging. I'm taking some, I've never worked so hard in school like ever before. I mean, I mean, we're taking, we're talking classes like cardiopulmonary pathophysiology. Like I do not know what the fuck that was like even before I signed up for the class, you know? And, uh, and all of a sudden I'm taking this stuff, you know, and I'm just, I'm it's trial by fire. And honestly, I actually, I credit a lot of my military training to being successful in graduate school, you know, and I hammered it out, you know, there's two years of just like pretty intensive studying and I, and I, and I pulled it off, you know, and You know, I was doing a lot of personal training during that time, too. Um, I I started doing some more studies at Natick again. You know, I was passionate about it. You know, it was an interesting time. You know, it was – and it opened up – ended up opening up some amazing doors, you know, for me professionally. So, yeah, it did – it worked out, oddly enough.
0: How about relationships are you you're figuring yourself out you're, you're not to the state where you're at right now, but are you yeah. in relationships now? Or are you kind of focusing on a more stable future? Contracting's kind of now that you're making it through, contracting's kind of out of the picture, going back in the yeah. military's out of the picture? That life has kind of been buried now and put away
1: it It had yeah, I mean that was it, and so yeah, while I was in graduate school, yeah, much more like steady. Sort of relationships, you know, that lasted a little bit longer, much more functional. Uh, it was just fun. It was fun, you know. The other ones before were always just such a roller coaster. Yeah. These were great. And so, you know, at my basically during that time, actually, yeah, I was in school during the school year. And then the, my summers, I actually got a job back at that fitness place in, in Africa, ironically enough they hired me to come and actually be a a coach. So it was a fun couple of years, you know, basically September through May, I was, you know, in school and then, you know, May to September I was in Kenya, you know, teaching people how to box or use kettlebells on the beach, you know, it was just a great life. Um, But relationships started getting more serious and then it was in, 2011 I met my first wife that's a whole nother can of
0: worms (laughs) and and we're getting ready to open it up but here's the question that I have for that as you do this when you look at your military career when you look at your contracting your college all those we'll we'll put them into different sections but look at them all as a whole okay was there ever an end goal with each of them and what I mean by that is When you joined the military, you talked about, I want to go kick doors. I want to do this, but there wasn't really an end goal. And I've heard you talk about like that. You could have gone to special forces or maybe gone to other elite units, but that's not really brought up a lot, but there never seemed to be really an end goal. You were kind of living in the moment. Then you get out, you contract that's for a purpose, an end goal, which is to get into school. You get into school, you pass all that, but, when you look at it is there really an angle are you really figuring out like cuz you're getting older now what are you you should be close to 30 now right oh at that time yeah 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 yeah, yeah so yeah, was- are are you starting to put things together like okay this is where i want to end up this is what i want to do or are you still kind of just living in the moment by you know yeah. like you said going back and forth and
1: living it definitely living in the moment i mean
0: do you ever wonder why there wasn't, I mean, you had graduate school, you had your military background, you had all these things going for you. Have you ever looked at it and wondered like why or what the reason was that there wasn't maybe uh, this is where I want to end up. This is what I want to do.
1: Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good question. I've never even looking back on my life to those different sort of chapters. You're right. I mean, it was never a mo- There was never like really like a definitive end goal, and maybe my life has always kind of been like that. Now that you, we, we talk about it, is that I've always I've always clung on to different passions in, in my life and things that like just invigorate me and excite me and feel like they give me. You know, again, I say the, the, you know autonomy, mastery, and purpose. You know things that that, that kind of tick all those boxes. Certainly now, professionally and competing in a sport, I have very sort of more defined goals. But in terms of like life, you know, those looking at those chapters, no, I didn't really have like an end goal. Like I will be doing this or that. Like it wasn't very like thought out in that way. It was more this excites me. This is fun. I'm passionate about this. I'm going to try to be the best that I can in this and see where it goes. And that was kind of it
0: because there was definitely short term goals. I mean, you definitely knocked it out of the park on short term goals. Like you did yeah. everything you set out to do. Ranger get in the regiment, go to war, be a door kicker, go to school, go to graduate school. I mean, you definitely knocked the, the short terms and I, I look at you now and everything that I've read and the times that we've talked to each other before the show and stuff, and you seem like a completely different person now. And that's why I want to talk about those short-term goals because it seemed like for so long with you there was let's get this done and let's, like you said, be the best. And now I think it's still about being the best to you, but now it's just about enjoying the life that you have, not competing for it.
1: Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I mean, now I'm, I never have a bad day now. I mean, I honestly don't. I don't feel like that because each day has its own challenges and highlights, lowlights. But, you know, I enjoy every day that I have, you know, because you know, I enjoy being a father. I enjoy being a husband. I enjoy, I love, you know, Uh, competing and I love spending time with the animals. I love work, you know, so you're right. I mean, I'm a lot, and I think that's because I'm, I know what I want to be, or in a better way to say it, I am what I want to be at this point, you know? Um, And if this, all those other chapters that we were kind of describing, you know, all these little facets of life, and there are many, yeah, they were just sort of like, jabbing, you know, like boom 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 like not trying to get stuff done. And I was always doing it the best that I could because that's how I was trained and that's what was instilled in me as a young boy. But now I'm at peace a little bit more in, with this consistency in this level of of life that I have now. And not to say I've everything figured out, but you know, I, it's you know, I mean, I'm achie- I'm hitting I'm achieving my goals. Of what I want to do with my life now, I guess.
0: So let let's compare. Let's go back for a second, and and we're gonna kind of go back and forth. Let's compare that first marriage to now. Not necessarily the wives to each other, and I I, I don't mean yeah. like that, but I mean let's compare your life being married there. What kind of person you were? Because I've heard you say, and I've read, you talk about that when everything happened, and we'll get to what happened. You couldn't figure. You always thought, what could you have done better? What did you do wrong? So, what what kind of person were you different than what you are now? Because I have a feeling that those kind of questions don't cross your mind anymore.
1: They don't. And actually, now that you bring it up, like at that time too, you know, I was in California. I was working at Oakley, but again, I was very like. I started even going back to school again. I was getting earning my MBA at at Pepperdine and at Irvine, but I, I, but to no end, like it was just like doing things just to check the box, just to check the box. You know, I didn't enjoy any of it really. I mean here and there, but, and I, I certainly didn't enjoy being a father at that point. I mean, I can honestly say that. Um,
0: you know, Why do you I think that saying, is? Because that's completely different from you now.
1: It is. And I love being a dad now. I think at that time, part of it too was not having, I didn't really feel like I had a, much of a voice in, in that house. You know, I felt like things were not, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't have as much input in, in, in the day to day of, things, but I mean, that, that probably isn't really even it. I mean, listen, there, my, first wife and I, we were like, you know, oil and water. I mean, it wasn't a mix, but it also was probably like, I wasn't really being, being fulfilled myself. Like I wasn't happy with where I was at. Um, and I was just sort of, you know, going, checking the box in different places and not actually enjoying the process. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not entirely sure why, you know, I think it was part of it too, is not, you know, you, I didn't feel like I had a good identity probably in that relationship because certain things that I probably, I wanted to explore, you know, I couldn't, um, you know, eventually I found them. Um, you know, so I think that was part of it.
0: I got to understand what you're looking for. What, what is it that you were trying to find to fulfill yourself? Because we said tons of short-term goals, but what is your brain telling you like this will complete us or this will at least get us on that road i mean it's it you know i can't
1: as odd as it sounds and it, it does sound strange as soon as i discovered like mounted shooting and got more like invested into horses it's just weird as it sounds things actually took a turn for the positive which is kind of strange that It's like, well, you know, how does a sport or a hobby or whatever you want to call it, or even just these animals allow you to then like manifest some, some inner happiness that wasn't there before. But that's what happened at the, around this all the same time that basically changed the trajectory for me. You know, it became, I just sort of you know I, when i was in my first marriage i remember when i even wanted a horse you know the question was out of you know absolutely not you know i did it i did it anyways i just slowly got more and more into it you know and i think there's something to be said you know about you know if you if is it's important to find purpose in your life one way or another you know because if you don't your mind will just continue to wander And for me, the sport and the purpose, you know, was there with with these horses. And I think there's also a connection back to when I was a youth, you know. It was something deep within sort of my psychosis of something I was always interested in that brought back this sort of euphoria and, and sense of adventure that maybe had been missing for, you know, a long time.
0: The thing that I think about with you and these, when you when we get into this competition and and what you do during the competition, 70 different courses of fire, very fast though, 12 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It's you. That's you. That's everything we've talked about tonight. Burst, short bursts. And it's so crazy to compare your life before to what you're doing now because it's those short speed bursts and getting the job done and then kind of looking at it after it's over. Cause it's going in a blur. Cause it's going so fast. Do you think yeah. that's part of what makes you so happy about this? Because that's all it is. I mean, people lose these things by hundreds and tenths of a second.
1: Yeah. It's an, it's an odd sport that way where, I mean, you can tr- travel, you know, a thousand miles with your horse for maybe a total of like one minute of actual recorded competition time, you know, between all the stages that you do. Yeah, I mean, it's a good analogy for kind of what my life has been. I think what's kept me sort of, like you said, enjoying the process more is that with horses, you know, you, you ha- if you don't enjoy the process with horses, I think you'll never be successful and connect with them because all of the work and the, and the, the connection that takes place it takes place over, you know, the course of a year, you know, in like hours upon hours of sitting in a saddle and and what we call, you know, coming together with a horse. Um, And I think that has probably been the most grounding aspect of having horses and being competitive with them is that you learn that it's okay to slow down and to be more methodical and thoughtful of how you go through interacting with them because yeah it's 12 seconds that you're going to win or lose but those tw- and those 12 seconds are built upon days if not years of spending time with one single horse and i feel like that has probably helped me just in general become more comfortable in enjoying the process of everything whether it be being a dad or being a, a good husband, uh, enjoying my work when I didn't before it was just, before it was just like, I got to get it through. And this, this is my work and you're not working well with others or this or that. Now it's like way more relaxed about stuff like that. Um, and I think horses teach you that, they really do. You know?
0: Well, I I think it's funny how you you came across it. I mean, you were at a range just staying up on your AR and pistol shooting, and you saw these guys riding horses. And I don't know if, like you said, that was a nostalgic thing that instantly took you back, but it seems almost like since you've seen that, you haven't stopped.
1: No, I haven't. You know, the best part about this sport is that, you know, in working with horses, that you're always learning something new. You know, you've never... You know, you've never mastered it all and because every new horse you sit on too is a, you know, totally different animal and different mind and different ability. The, the courses themselves, you know, the way you, you run them and or the way you want to cut a line or gain a half a second, you know, there's always, there's always such mastery to it. You know, it's like that, that, that autonomy mastery purpose, you know, it's like you know, the mastery aspect, you're always getting better um you know you're always learning something new so it's very engaging from that standpoint
0: can you ever master it no i mean i mean you can get really good
1: i mean and i feel like i'm at the kind of top of my game now Uh, i mean uh, you know and again i you know i give myself credit you know i didn't a lot of the guys i compete against have been growing you know they grew up riding you know they've, they've ridden their whole lives you know, yeah, so, let,
0: let's not sell yourself short here. You're ranked 173rd in the world. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's the world. You know how yeah. big the world is, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, and for me, it's more, you know, I have certain, you know, events that I want to do well at. And last year was a great year. We, you know, we have this younger competition called the Futurity and the Derby, which is Young Horses. And so we won the Derby, which was a big event. We're very proud of that because you're you know, working with a four or five year old horse, it's very unproven. Against other trainers and people who are a lot more accomplished than I am. So that was that last last year that was probably our biggest accomplishment.
0: Let's talk about a couple things about I wanna get into your farm that you live on now, but talking about your horses in specific. Let's talk about the special treatment that you do for these things, because if someone will go oh, through yeah. your Instagram, it's pretty funny just to look through it and see mm-hmm. what these horses get and the special treatments that they get. And I want to talk about the special treatments that you give them. And also, what's it cost to run? You're running five horses. I can't even imagine. Can you give a ballpark of what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, all the costs have gone up with the horses, you know, like everything, like eggs and whatnot uh so hay has gone up and so you know you're looking you know maybe 12 bucks or you know uh for a bale of hay and you could burn through you know with we've got four here now you know you're going through close to four bales a day you know so it adds up pretty quick you know unfortunately you know sponsors and stuff do help offset some of the costs and you win you win money when you're on the road but you know, there's very few people making a big living from, and that goes for horse racing too. You know, a few people who are making a lot of money from uh, horses. You know, it's it's a big labor of love, um, but we 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 do well with our sponsors, and they're and they're awesome. But yeah, the special treatment for these animals. I mean, they get. My wife jokes that I take better care of them than I do her, uh, but like you know, because. <laughs> We do, so we start, we do chiropractic every six weeks. Uh, I have a chiropractor that comes in, does adjustments on all the horses. They're on a thing called the TheraPlate. They're on that every day for at least 10, 15 minutes. And this is big plate that they stand on that vibrates. And what it does is, is it increases circulation all through their lower extremities. So it's good for recovery. Um, you know, primarily, um, and they love it. They stand on there and they feel good and they eat their grain. And, and so that's great. And then, uh, we have another thing called the Magna wave, which is basically electromagnetic therapy, which opens up the cells. So greater oxi- oxidation, uh, so better recovery, uh, prevents, helps prevent muscle atrophy. Um, again, just increasing blood flow, all their big moving muscles. And so, yeah. I mean, I've like ortho like shoes they wear when we travel or they, they, that they ride in. I mean, you take care of them. I mean, there's a lot, you know, I've gone down a couple of times on horses. And so, you know, you, you want to take care of them. They're working hard for you and you know, it's a dangerous sport. So you do everything you can.
0: Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the sport a little bit. Cause I don't think a lot of people know about it. I, I think they've seen like clay shooting competitions, you know, yeah. three gun competitions, things like that. I don't know that a lot of people have heard about this. Um, it's all based around time and accuracy, uh, with the sparks from the black powder, actually taking out the target. Like we talked about before, 70 different courses of fire. And then there's, and there could be more, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, pistol rifle and shotgun, and then cavalry shooting. Yeah. Okay.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about it. What all goes into it and what I want to know in your mind, do you blank when you go out? What do you do to prepare for this? Cause we've talked about it when you prepare for war, when you prepared for all the other things you've done, how do you prepare for this?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, good question. Um, so there's a ton of mental management that goes into uh, executing anything. And I always say, basically, if if there's too much in your consciousness while you're doing some sort of action, you're never going to be as good at it if it's in your subconscious. So, you know, so I do a ton of practice, both, you know, literally practicing patterns here. You know, we'll, we'll train and shoot and set up courses. And so we'll practice all the patterns. Also do a lot of mental management or practicing in my head. So, you know, because a lot of times your mind doesn't know the difference. So you, you rehearse what you think you're going to be doing in your head. And that's helpful too, because same thing within the military. I mean, you know, you know, CQB, you know, enter a building and clear a room, you know, you rehearse it thousands of times so that when you do do it in real world, it's basically muscle memory, as they say, you know, you're just, you know, you're kind of going through the motions And they're motions that you have repeated time and time again. And so that's what we do with this sport. You cross the timer line, you know, you have 10 targets, you need to hit them all, because if you miss one, it's a five-second penalty. And then you got to get back across the timer as fast as you can. And so you know, having done the pattern several times before, exactly when you're shooting, where you're riding, what are your cues with your horse. It's all sort of premeditated. I don't zone out. I mean, I'm just sort of, you know, I'm in the moment, but it's, it's kind also kind of autopilot, you know, at
0: that point. When you're doing it though, do you know ahead of time with these different courses, do you know what you're going to run that day? Is it all planned out or do you know when you get there, what you're going to run?
1: No, they, they, prior to the day, the the match, they'll post the courses uh, on that, you know, on a board, but some days, cause I do every discipline I'll do main match rifle, shotgun, cavalry, you know, and I'll do them on some different horses where I'll pick and choose what horses I want to run, you know, that you could be doing five, you know, nine, you could run 11 courses in a day, you know? And so there are some courses that you're like, that you see pop up and you're like, like, fuck. You're like, I do not like that course. Or there are other ones that you're like, I could do that one in my sleep. You know, it's just, you know, I've done it a, a hundred times, but you know, everything, you know, luck is the residue of design. I say, you know, I mean, it, you know, you prepare as much as you can for something, but there's still that element of, listen, your horse could trip, you know, You, you half of your, half of the event is relying upon the horse to perform. so. You know, there's some things that are well beyond your control. Um, So, you know, you you do hope for the best in that regard.
0: A lot of guys say, uh, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. Your definition of luck is, uh, it's a little different than most people. You say that (laughs) it's when planning meets opportunity, or uh, when preparation meets opportunity.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, and that was my same mindset uh, in the military too. And really any, anything I've done is like, you control as much as you can, you know, uh, you know, why wouldn't you, it's like, you know, if you have that opportunity to do that, you know, prepare as best as you can for anything that might come up. And then at some point, you know, the rest is up to chance. Um, but no, I mean, I, uh, and, and not just that, it's like, I have fun preparing for things, particularly this sport too, you know, it's fun to spend time with your horse. It's fun to work a pattern until you, you get it the exact way that you know, you want to do it. Um, you know, that, that, that stuff, that's the fun part about it, uh, that has not gotten old in any way, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely kept me engaged in the sport.
0: Well, in the sport, Let's go over a couple of your numbers and tell me if I'm wrong about them, but I looked them up. Uh, number 18 in rifle, number six in shotgun, number six in cavalry.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. I don't, you know,
1: I know. I don't, you know, I, I look sometimes at our, like our rankings, uh, you know, and it's also too, like in the sport too, it's how much you're traveling, you know, to compete, you know, and really this, you know, this is kind of, for me, the winter is like when my slower season, you know, and really once we, I will be on the road starting here, at the beginning of March and probably every other weekend will be traveling until, you know, October, November, you know, so the rain, you know, so hopefully I'll, I'll go up in rankings and, you know,
0: Well, why uh, don't you, why don't you look at the rankings?
1: You know, cause for me, I have there are other goals that I have. Then you know, uh, I mean the because I've like for instance, instance like last year I was, uh, I was number one. I was the world cavalry high point, and that was pretty cool. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a goal of mine. It was just kind of where I ended up.
0: You got to wear cool costumes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, I got a cool <laughs> they, they gave me. um I mean, my goals right now, you know, we I have a horse in the futurity for this year. Uh, and I want to place really well in that, and that's a huge goal of mine. A bigger goal is I want to win a major championship, and I have the horsepower to do it. But again, it's like you know, you could you can have the best your your best run uh, or series of runs at an event, but someone else could you know just run better than you. You know, you did the best that you could. Again, that's the preparation meets opportunity. You prepared as best as you could. But the opportunity wasn't there because someone else just happened to. Why you ask? Why I don't look at the rankings? It's it's because you know it's it's not really part of my goal. You know, some people's goals is to be number one uh, in world in world points at the end of the year. And I know just because of my how much I'm able to travel, you know, it's not a goal. It's not an attainable goal for me. So I'm sort of like you know, I know what goals I think I. I have the means to, to achieve, uh, as long as I perform and that's kind of what I'm focused on. That but
0: it sense. seems like such a different person than what we talked about in the past, because don't you think it would have been to be number one, to check the rankings all the time, to do well, those, yeah, you know, it's short funny because, bursts.
1: Yeah. And yeah. And, uh, there was a point even when I first started out, I was checking in a lot and now I'm like, eh, I'm like, I'm like, I don't, you know, it's, it's fine. It's okay. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to show up and I'm going to ride. I'm going to do well. And I know what I, my goals are, but like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's different. I'm different pace of life and uh, not even pace. It's just different mindset, you know, and it just takes a long time to get there. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know why it's taking me so long, but
0: yeah. Well, uh, I turned 47 this year and I'm just getting to that point in my life. Yeah. You know, J- I mean, I'm just now starting to realize, to like to look around.
1: Yeah. It's kind of where I'm at. Right. What, what, what do you love to do? What is your, I mean, I know you love this show. This. So like, Yeah. 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 <laughs> this.
0: Uh, I, you know, uh, this is, this is what I hope to do when I retire from my job. Uh, I hope to write full time, um, and and I, I really like being a dad right now, because I told you we're right at that precipice for a lot of things in my daughter's life. One's getting ready to go to college. One's getting ready to enter high school. One's getting ready to enter middle school. So I, it, I'm just at a point where I kind of look around and and I used some things that I used to think were important are really kind of dumb to me now. And Mm -hmm, I, I, and I just kind of look around and I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool what I'm doing. And I, you know, I, I took the leap to do this kind of work, this, this interviewing and stuff. I I just decided one day I'm like, I'm going to do it. You know, I had thought about it forever and I said, I'm just going to do it. And I I can't imagine having more fun doing this than what I'm doing right now. Um, and, And so it's, it's a cool point to get in life.
1: Yeah, I, it resonates with me when you say, you know, there's certain things that you used to care about and you just don't. You know, you, you, you get to a point where you really just, your know, priorities align a lot differently. You know, it's, you've given me some things to think about too, a little bit more of like, you know, what is it? You know, what is the psychology of why, you know, I changed, you know, at a certain point in time? You know, is, does everyone go through that when they get older or is it, a certain thing, or maybe some people, they don't change, you know, um,
0: which is sad to me. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, I think what's sad about the thing too, where we talk about where I'm almost 47 and I'm just getting to that point in my life. And I think, why did it take so long to get here? Because it's so cool being here. <laughs> yeah. What took so long to get here? So I, I, I mean, it, it, it's a very cool place to be in life with with what you're doing right now with this you talk a lot about your competitions and you write about your competitions and you say they always do the national anthem they always do a prayer people always come together why is that so important right now in your life
1: listen i watch the news and i've actually this year i've stopped watching a lot of news because i felt like it was taking away parts of me and just bringing a lot of energy into in and, and like you said There are things going on that like I just didn't care like I don't care about like and I don't really always care to be part of like a larger political soap opera that like what I feel has I like to be informed but you know I don't what bearing does it have on me you know you know so I basically kind of stopped with a a lot of that and it leads into why do I think the national anthem and prayer and all these things are so important and it's because, you know, there's such like an erosion of these kind of core American values that I I feel like I grew up with and that I certainly appreciate. I, you know, in these events, those are the type of people that are there. And it just, it was such a reminder of like that there's still good in this world. There are still people who, you know, love this country and want to raise their kids right. And I just love that. And, um, particularly in an age where, you know, you see a, such a lack of it. So it's an awesome community. I mean, of people just the Western sort of, not just Western equine, but just the Western sports world, you know, in general, there, there are good people there who care about raising their kids right. There's no woke agenda as Arlie Ermey said, and again, full metal jacket here, you're all equally worthless. You know, it's like, you know, (laughs) know, I mean, it's, uh, it's great. I mean, everyone, everyone helps each other out. It's a great community. So that, that, you know, I'm sure you kind of see the same, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and the whole thing to me is when you talk about that and then I think about your military career, I almost can't, help but to think that you look back and you go yep it was worth it everything that i did everywhere i went and all the pain that i went through in that this is why i did it right here
1: in that yeah i mean i think about that aspect too a lot here at being at home all the time like the deployments and the time away and the the, the pain and the sweat and the blood and you're like you know i think i reflect upon my military service a lot too just being at home i'm like this is great i'm like i get to work at home i get to have a great family you know all these things that i feel like i'm blessed with um, i feel like in some in some small way i earned it you know and i don't take it for granted cuz life is fragile but yeah and then in those things, those events it's a very it's a good reminder of, of, of that too.
0: So a couple more questions, uh, about the family and things like that. It's so different than your first wife, the first situation that you're in being a dad, what do you think it is about this marriage, about this wife, about this situation that you're in that makes it so different? And when do you think that switch was kind of flipped for you?
1: I got my first marriage, I, you know, ended in 2016. And uh, at the same time, you know, I relocated from California to Massachusetts and uh, kind of started a whole new sort of existence here, which was odd and took some time and and whatnot. But when I moved here, it kind of like, it became a new sort of, I started kind of getting into this mode of a new me, you know. Um, I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Um, I was starting to get heavily into horses. You know, I was built built a barn at my home, and my identity of who I was was kind of now becoming a lot more solidified. And I think I was comfor- more comfortable with myself and just happier. You know, I was happiest I would ever been because I had finally I finally kind of knew what I didn't want. I met my my wife basically a couple years later in 2018, you know, and I had been dating a a lot before then and trying, you know, meeting different people, but nothing had stuck, you know, and no one had met my children either, which was like a big deal until her. And so what was it that really made this one work and be so much better? I mean, one is her, I mean, obviously, you know, just a much, very easygoing personality and we kind of complimented one another, you know. Um, we are kind of collided at this sort of right moment with each other, and it's still <clears throat> it still carried on. And then two is that I was receptive to it. I was open to it. I was, you know, who I was when I met her is the same guy I am really now, more or less. Like, you know, the horse stuff and, and every the work and the kids, it's been this kind of continuous thing and I think that's what it was is that I was more comfortable with who I was at the time that I met her versus, you know, before, you know, I didn't really have, I wasn't enjoying any process. I was just going, you know, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't in the moment at, at all. I was always looking at some, some other moment that I could do. You know, I think that's the difference. I, I think that, I think a lot of guys see, feel that too, is that, A lot of guys feel, you know, if they're in a relationship, they probably, and they feel trapped. It's probably because they're not able to, it's my opinion, show the version of themselves or that they want to be. That's probably why.
0: Let's talk about one other thing. I want to talk about trust with you. We've talked a lot about your careers, what you've done. You've had to put your life in other people's hands, they've put theirs in yours, and trust. But I think about trust a lot when I look at your story and I, I look at where you come from and where you're going in the future. And I want to know what trust is to you.
1: You know, I, I look around and I see trust in a few different places. I mean, certainly with my wife, you know, tr- you know the biggest element of trust is consistency. You know, I think that's a big one with me. I, trust to me is synonymous with consistency and that's something I say a lot and I look for in people. you know I don't actually I don't even I think look at them like, can I can I trust them? I say to myself, is that person consistent? Are they consistent with how they live their life you know with integrity? Is he a consistent dad? you know is he a, is he you know even in our sport, is that guy a consistent rider that I always, you know, he, he's always doing the same thing. I can expect him to be this one way or another. And I say that to my wife too a lot because there's some people in our lives that are inconsistent and I don't trust them because of that because I don't know. I never know. I don't know what I'm going to get. So really to answer your question is my definition of trust is, you know, I think along the lines of consistency, you know, what can you expect from someone? You know, are they always going to be there for you? You you know, are they going to be there for someone else? Because I like to surround myself with consistent people, generally good, consistent people, the bad ones. If they're consistently bad, you know, what's the point? It's all about consistency with me.
0: So how's that translate over to the horse? And that's why I looked at how you talk about your wife now, how you talk about your family now. And there has to be complete trust in that horse, because I've heard at some points you're not even holding the reins.
1: You're not. It's the same thing and it's amazing too like is odd as it is like horses it's like there's it so many like analogies and like if they're not just the mate, most amazing gift to, uh, to teach you things in life uh, you know I don't know what is but same deal like you look for the same type of thing with the horses too is the horse consistent whether it you know there's plenty of slow horses and they're consistently slow. But they're consistent. They know they're not going to, you know, go bonkers when you're loading them off the trailer, or you know, freak out if they, you know, see a balloon, or you know, consistency is the biggest aspect. Like I have one horse who's a rocket ship, and he's consistently that way, and I know exactly what he's going to do basically all the time, and it's okay that he's a rocket ship because that's what I want. Um, but I'm prepared for that, and I trust in that because there's that consistency there and that's, you know, that's what horses are all about. And to be honest, it's what people are all about and not to get into my ex-wife, but most inconsistent person I've ever met, you know, just up and down all the time. And, uh, even now, you know, so for me, you know, that's the biggest part is, you know, with the horses or the people, just that aspect of consistency.
0: And that's what brings the trust into it with you is consistency.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because if I know they're going to be that way, you know, basically all the time, that's, that's trust. You know, even if a guy's, an, even if a guy's a can consistently a asshole, some dude, some guy, friend I, or, I have, or some guy. You can you trust
0: know. that they're going to be an asshole.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and to be honest, I could, you know, I could still loan him my car, you know, I trust that, you know, he, I mean, again, it's like, you know, or not. I mean, it's like, if you, you know, but I mean, it's, yeah, that's it. But, you know, I, and I like to surround myself with people who, you know, are, who one are consistent and two who are like invested and, you know, like to have talk about meaningful things and things like that too, you know um who, who raise you up and you know my circle is pretty small
0: i think as you so get older everyone's circle becomes a lot smaller yeah
1: yeah right i mean my wife jokes too she's like you know why well, don't you know talk, hang out with more of the neighbors and this and that and i and i, I do at times but i'm well you know i'm also like listen i, I don't i don't i don't need to i don't feel <laughs> the pressure to
0: <laughs> right you know? Last thing, let's talk about your writing because this goes back to college. Uh, You you have a degree in English literature, correct? A bachelor's in English literature. You never thought you would use that, but now with the marketing and with the writing that you do, it's come full effect for you. I mean, it's come full rotation, and and now you're using that and you're dipping back into that. What is it about writing that uh, is is kind of freeing to you in that?
1: Yeah, I mean... The best aspect has been writing about people who I either know or who I'm just now meeting for the first time. It's it's cathartic to kind of tell a story and tell their story, much like you know doing maybe you know a podcast is. You know it's it's great. I love to see my words on paper and things see everything pulled together with you know, you know words and images, and then to see people's reaction to it. It's very gratifying and I love learning about people that I would otherwise not really know who they are, you know, or if I'm writing about products, I mean, that's interesting too, but writing about people is certainly the most sort of interesting.
0: I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, let's kind of wrap this up with long-term. We've talked about it the whole time, long-term and short-term. What's the future got for you? do you have any idea what you want to do 10 years from now or where you want to be 10 years from now? <clears throat> um, I mean, I have, I have 10 years from now. I do have some goals of where I w- physically would
1: want to be in terms of things like that. But in terms of like how I feel and what I'm doing, you know, I love this moment in my life. I mean, and if this stretches another honestly 10 years, which it very well might, I'm happy with that. And that's primarily because, you know, I'm raising kids. I have an 11, a nine, and basically I got one and a half year old.
0: Yeah, you got a while with that one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So for me, you know, I do, you know, I live vicariously, you know, through the stuff that I do, but also through them you know, I'm, I'm invested. I'm here to, it's not like, you know, as being a dad, it's, it's not always about, you know, your goals. It's going to be, you know, their goals become yours. And you want to sort of see them off and, you know, on, on a trajectory and guide them on that. So that's really like, you know, what I, what these next 10 years are about. Staying true to my convictions, you know, enjoying the process and that means enjoying the process of being a husband, you know, a dad, and then also being passionate about the other things that I'm doing, because I feel like that makes me a better husband and dad too. You know, you know, you, you need purpose. You know, without it, your your mind's going to wander. So yeah, I think I think that's what the ten, next ten years are going to be, and you know, and that's why I feel like it's so important for guys to to grab hold of something that get some going and get some excited, you know, because without that, you know, you just, you just flounder. You really do. So it's, uh, you know, whether it's fitness or fucking motocross or podcasts or mounted shooting, I mean, you find something.
0: Absolutely. I think when it all comes to an end, that's what you have to have is a purpose in that second chapter, which we talk about on this show a lot, that second chapter in life. Um, yeah. And knowing what you want to do and showing that you're not just what that person was, but you're a whole other person. And I would love to see people kind of transform into that. And that's what I love about doing. This is hearing these stories and hearing, you know, you would agree you're a completely different person from when we started this story.
1: Yeah. I mean, I look back at the, you know, when I was 23, 24 in the army, you know, if I could tell him some things I know now, be probably be better for it but again you learn through mistakes not examples you know so it's i'm here today because i spent that time doing all those other things you know
0: yeah and and, you know and i usually end asking people are they comfortable in their skin are they comfortable who they are but i think that you've said it numerous times i think you finally are at a point in your life where you're comfortable with who you are and you're comfortable 100% in your skin anything you'd like to see yourself grow in
1: I mean, the, obviously the horse stuff, you know, you know man and shooting's been great. I mean, I, I know, but I th- I, have, I have a feeling I will gravitate towards a number of other disciplines with horses, which, which would be a lot of fun. It's hard because, you know, as being a full-time dad, you know, there's only so much time. I only have so much time for different stuff, you know. You know, I feel like I'm growing professionally. I'm getting better as a dad, getting better in my in my pursuit with horses. So my, my plate is full <laughs> 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 for now.
0: Okay. Where can people find you if they want to know more about your store, if they want to follow you as you go through the competitions and things like that, there's a ton of places that people can find you. So let's run down through what they can do.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the best place that I'm more most active on is Instagram. Yeah, the handle is uh, at you know, the Ranger Cowboy. We've, we've also got a pretty good sort of youtube documentary that fieldcraft survival published it's on the fieldcraft survival channel um and so that's, that's probably the other big one that i would direct people to i mean, i'm always responsive through instagram um in messages or comments or anything you know and um uh, happy to give advice on getting into the sport or get going getting into the military or coming out of the military too so
0: yeah um Instagram is definitely the place. That's where you and I kind of hooked up and started talking to each other at the Ranger Cowboy. Um, do you want to give away that email in Kenya if anyone wants to get a hold of you? Do you think they can still reach you by the address in uh, Kenya? Yeah,
1: no, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. <get> yeah, <laughs> I picked up. Yeah, probably. I could. I mean, it still works. I, you
0: know. Yeah. So I'm sure that 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 could be a place. So let let's really go through it. So at the Ranger Cowboy. On Instagram, Uh, Fieldcraft Survival, you can watch the mini documentary on you. That's on the Fieldcraft Survival channel. Um, There is riding that you do, and that's on a couple different places. I think that's connected with Black Rifle. um, And there's a couple different sites, and I'll go ahead and put those on your episode page for this so people can find those and read about them. Also, if you want to learn more about the sport, cmsaevents.com. You can go there. They have a video on there to show you what it's kind of all about. And then everything that's coming up everything in the past and kind of the rankings and different stuff like that. Is there anywhere else you can think of or anything else that you want to promote? Uh,
1: Just, we've got some new, a new sponsor this year, which should be pretty cool. Uh, Taurus firearms is sponsoring me. We're doing a new release of a single action gun. So we're going to be doing some, some video and some basically some promotion of that, which pretty excited about. And then obviously sponsored by Safari land. And Black Rifle Coffee, and they've been great sponsors of mine, and uh, it's been an awesome relationship.
0: All right, guys, you know where you can find him Instagram. We'll put everything up on there on his episode page. There'll also be pictures. He sent me a ton of pictures throughout his career. You'll be able to look at those. We'll put the links so you can go check out his articles. Now, you know where you can find Drew. Here's where you can find me, as always. You can, of course, find me on Instagram at the DTD underscore podcast. You can find me on Facebook at the DTD podcast, and you can find me on YouTube where all these conversations are in video form at the DTD podcast. But don't forget, stop by the DTD podcast That's the one stop shop for you. Audio video. Each guest has their own page. It's got their pictures. It's got their bio. It's got their links. Anything that you want to know about them or how you can catch up to them is there dtdpodcast.net. Now, after you stop by dtdpodcast.net, stop by our sponsor, Police Coffee. We talk about them every week. You know they're an officer-owned business, and they're dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends, and they're shipped as soon as they're made to provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant, and their specialty coffees, like the NYPD Brew. There's a ton of different ones. A Texas Pecan... There's too many to go through one ranger. Anyway, when you go to their specialty coffees, they don't waste one drop when flavor's concerned. Their coffee's some of the best you'll find, but there's an important cause for them, and we talk about it every week they give back to our community. 50% of their profits go towards family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. When you stop by policecoffee.com, put in DJK 10 That'll give you 10% off your order. Guys, that's going to be it for this week. It's been an amazing story. I'm so glad you came on, Drew. Everyone, if you want to find out about him, please look him up whenever he comes onto the website. That's Drew. I'm DJ. This has been the show. We'll catch you guys on the next one. See you later.